You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And this is the Isles Buzz Podcast. My name is Noel Ogleman, alongside Dan Petcher, part of the Lighthouse Hockey Podcast channel. Subscribe to all the great shows, PT Isles, Islanders Anxiety, and of course, Isles Buzz. And joining us now from The Athletic, Arthur Staple, covers the Islanders. Arthur, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, fellas. How are you? We're doing great. Um, you know, tomorrow, uh, I guess, the playoffs start? I mean, I don't know. They're calling this round one. You have the qualifiers are part of the playoffs. I thought maybe they'd do, like, the whole NCAA thing and start with round two. But it's the NHL, so we'll call it round one. <laughs> yeah, I think everything's just a little weird this year, so – we can call it whatever we want. It still was the playoffs. It still had that elimination series feel, even though it was best of five, which I don't think a lot of Islander fans uh, remember what best of five was like way, way back, but um, it was a nice reminder. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll get started with round one soon. Right. And I guess besides the penalty kill, which we'll talk about in a second, were you surprised how easily the Islanders dominated the Panthers? A little bit. Um, I kind of felt like, just talking to, to people around the league who at least remembered what the Panthers looked like before the, mm-hmm. the lockdown came. Um, nobody was terribly impressed with the way that they played, especially at five on five. They obviously have some high end skill guys who, uh, who have a good power play and they certainly displayed that. But uh, even I, I don't even think I was prepared for how uh, disjointed they looked at even strength. And a lot of that had to do with the Islanders, but I think a lot of it had to do with a team that's, uh, that seems very kind of mismatched. Uh, you know, I really thought uh, Sergei Borowski played really well. He gave up a couple of bad goals, but he, he stopped a lot of, a lot of high danger chances in that series. And, and I feel like the games, the Islanders won could have been a lot more lopsided. So um, it was, uh, it was overall a very impressive performance given all the time off. What can, what can a team take away from the, from the first round of moving forward to 
playing against the Capitals now. Now, obviously, the power play against the uh, the Panthers power play is absolutely deadly. Now they're going to be matching up against the Capitals, who have a decent power play as well, <laughs> especially number eight sitting on the faceoff dot. Is there anything they can take? Because even though they gave up the power play goal in game four, after that, they were pretty good killing the penalty. Is that something they can build on moving forward? Yeah, you know, I think um, obviously Washington's power play is uh, is a little bit better known to the Islanders. They've certainly seen it a lot over the years. It, the personnel hasn't changed a whole lot over the last few years, especially that top power play unit. Um, and it really is, you know, it's a bit more predictable than than Florida's. I thought the thing that impressed me the most about the Panthers and really seemed to confuse the Islanders was the kind of different looks they were throwing when they got the puck to one of their forwards, whether it was. Alexander Barkov with that deadly shot from out high that kind of pulled one of the defensemen out. Then they made a play down to, to Jonathan Huberto and that opened up some ice and tight. They're really, you know, they, you know what Mike Hoffman can do. He's a one-timer kind of shooter and they still managed to get him in position a few times. So that was, that was probably the only impressive part of Florida's game. And I think the Islanders, uh, no matter how they advanced, even if their penalty kill had gone a hundred percent against Florida, I think they'd still obviously be very concerned with Washington. Um, and you have to be able to shut down Ovechkin. And, and if you, you know, try to take him away, there's certainly lots of other talented guys on that top unit. Um, you know, TJ Oshie kind of in the middle there is, uh, is one of the best at, at screening and tipping pucks. John Carlson, if he's healthy, uh, uh, you know, has had a great year and is a great quarterback in that power play. And Nick Backstrom doesn't really do what Huberto does to provide that big body in front, but he's such a good distributor and has such good vision from, from around and behind the net. Um, you know, it, it, they don't throw a lot of different looks at you, but the owners have to be ready and you have to be aggressive and win some face-offs. They do have, you know, the added bonus of J.G. Pajot being uh, along with Casey Zizekas to be able to take shorthanded draws. But uh, I think the main thrust is don't give them power plays because it's going to bite you at some point. Speaking of, you know, giving them power plays and, you know, taking dumb penalties, uh, game four, saw the return of Leo Kamarov. Do you think he'll, he'll be back in the lineup tomorrow or it'll be more of like Tom Kunakel, who's, you know, obviously playoff ready, you know, experience and, you know, knows the capital well. You know, I think it's going to be Komarov. Um, you know, he doesn't, his, his, certainly his game doesn't pop out as one that you'd want to have in the lineup at this time of year, but I'll, I'll give you the, one of the main reasons, you know, Barry Trotz leans on him for his experience and, and just the way he kind of, uh, he doesn't move very fast, but he also kind of slows the game down. He plays a little bit of a heavier game than Kunakal does. I'm not saying we won't see Kunakal. I'm not saying we won't even see Ross Johnston because if things start to get a little overly physical, you might want Johnston's presence in there. But I think Komarov to me uh, will start just because he can kill penalties. Um, you want him to stay out of the box. And I think his ability to antagonize Alex Ovechkin, which he's done a lot over his career, whether he was in Toronto for their playoff series a few years ago. Um, you know, he's done it uh, in an Islanders uniform a couple of times. Uh, I think Ovechkin legitimately hates Leo Komarov. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's a factor that can't be overstated because you want, uh, you want somebody to be an agitator out there. The Islanders have plenty of physical guys, um, but they don't have that real pest in the lineup. And, and the caps are kind of loaded with guys like that. So, I think that's where Leo gets the edge, and uh, we'll see what he can bring tomorrow if he's in there. I want to circle back one second to, to what you said about J.G. Pajot and 
the, the, the dominance they had at times in the faceoff dot. It just seems from, from, from uh, you know, watching this series that Pajot has really solidified the bottom six of this team as the third line was very active in every, in every game. And now going, you know, going forward, um, they look really good center-wise from one to four. It's, in the past, that's not it's something they've always had an advantage with. How do you think they, they match up down the middle against a very loaded Capitals team? I think they match up pretty well. That's probably the area where they match up the best. You know, uh, the Caps won't have Lars Eller for game one. He's been uh, – he had to he – leave, he allowed to leave the Toronto bubble for the birth of his son back in D.C. So he's still in the quarantine, uh, you know, return – kind of returning to play slowly phase. And that's a big advantage because I think he was uh, – he's one of the best face-off guys the Caps have. You know, they have Backstrom. They have Kuznetsov. Um but, uh, but those guys are not, you know, at least uh, kind of in the round robin, haven't been terrific face-off guys. The Caps were the worst face-off team in, the, in kind of the first phase up in Toronto. I think they were under 40%. But um, it, is a, it is a big advantage for the Islanders. You know, I don't, I, I, with Komarov there uh, on that line with Pajot and Derek Broussard, you lose a little bit speed-wise with Kunakal not being there. Um, it's not the most cohesive line, but, uh, but I think Pajot is able to affect the game in a lot of other ways. Taking draws on the penalty kill, he's on the power play. Um, you know, he's just a guy that you can plug in wherever you need him. And, um, you know, I'm curious to see, I, I think you saw a couple of shifts uh, in that game four that, that Komarov didn't take. Barzal was out with, with Pajot and Broussard. And, uh, you know, I think if you can plug a, a Barzal or a Bovillier in with those guys, spot them in when you when you want a little bit more jump, uh, that's a situation where you see Pajot really thrive. And the goals he scored in the in uh, the first couple of games, you know, he's just he's such a straight ahead player, uh, really reliable. You know, he's obviously got some chemistry with with both Broussard and Bovillier. You know, fellow French Canadian guys, he just know, seems to know where to be on the ice and. Uh, you know, that's, uh, that's such a huge departure from what they had, not just uh, earlier in the season before they traded for him, but even back in the postseason last year when they were, they were just aching for goals against Carolina and their top two lines couldn't do anything. There really wasn't a whole lot to turn to. And now um, if their top two lines are able to, you know, kind of get stalled out, they do have some other options and it's a big help. Right. And the second line in, in the series against Florida really stood out, you know, led by the play of uh, Anthony Fulier, who honor fans all know, what he can do, but he's also very streaky. The, um, the NHL also saw a coming out party by him. Um, do you think actually he can continue the strong play? Are they going to keep that line? Because you had the his second goal with the, the two on one with Barzell. Are they going to keep the, the first two lines intact? I would think so. You know, I, I think Bovillier and Brock Nelson have been such a good tandem all year long. And really, when they get going, Barzal and Jordan Eberle are a good tandem. You know, Barry, he's not so concerned about the, the three guys meshing perfectly, but he just wants at least a couple of guys who have that good chemistry. And um, I think those are the pairings that he really likes. You get Peugeot and Broussard, and then Sezekis and Clutterbuck, uh, obviously, you know, mainstays on the fourth line with Matt Martin. So, yeah, I don't see them jumbling the top six too much. You know, you, you want to be able to have two scoring threats. You know, the Caps top six um, – mixes and matches pretty well, uh, whether it's Ovechkin, Backstrom, Tom Wilson, uh, TJ Oshie in place of Wilson, Oshie, Kuznetsov, and Jacob Vrana. Those guys are deadly, and uh, you have to be able to match them with some speed and, and keep their time and space away with all the usual coaching cliches. 
but the Islanders have to have a couple of uh, varied threats. They can't be relying on one line because the Caps have some very good bottom six checking forwards that can shut them down. So uh, I don't think you're going to mess with a good thing with Nelson's line, and, and you hope that Barzal's line produces another game like they had in game four. Now, this is not a question I probably would not be asking last year, year, year before, but it kind of seems like it, it might be relevant now. Do they have an advantage in goal here? You know, it's interesting. I, I think it's people are kind of of different minds. Holpe, uh, Braden Holpe was really good for the Caps in the round robin, probably the only consistently good uh, aspect to their game in those three games they played. And uh, he's the man, you know, Ilya Samstonov was really a big reason why they were near the top of the division at the, at the time the season stopped because uh, you know, he was a rookie goalie and, and, you know, ended up, he actually started the, se- the season opener. I think people can remember all the way back when they beat the Islanders. Um, and he's been really lights out. He's out with an injury. So it's hope he's net, you know, and it, it's interesting to think about uh, if the Islanders can get to him early in this series and rattle him a little bit. This is a guy with a sub 900 save percentage uh, in the regular season. He's obviously a decorated goalie. He's won a Stanley cup. He's a guy who makes acrobatic, good, you know, high danger type saves, but sometimes gives up a couple softies. So the Islanders, uh, if they get to him, yeah, they do have an edge because whatever Semyon Varlamov does, even if, you know, he, uh, he flames out in one of these games, you do have Thomas Grace who's been through these kinds of situations before and is ready to go. Uh, and the Caps don't really have a plan B. So uh, I'm interested to see how the Islanders kind of start this series, uh, games one and two, um, whether they're kind of mentally a little bit more in, the, in that playoff mindset, having gone through an elimination series, and whether they feel like they can, uh, you know, kind of get to the net, uh, get pucks in there, and, and see what they can accomplish against the guy who they've scored a lot of goals on uh, in past regular seasons. Now, obviously, the big, uh, biggest storyline of the series is, you know, Barry Trotz returning to face his former team. Uh, how much of an edge do you give the Islanders in, in the coaching department as a result of that? You know, um, it, it's funny to think, uh, you know, we talked a lot about the matchup of two pretty sure Hall of Fame coaches in the first round, Joel Quenville and Barry Trotz. And, and really, uh, you know, it was, it was a lopsided matchup. Obviously, the Islanders – were, you know, got to their game a lot quicker than Florida did. But I thought Quenville kind of, uh, kind of panicked a little bit after game two and, and took some guys out of his lineup that, uh, that are pretty essential to them, guys like Mike Matheson and Frankie Petrano. And he managed to win game three and then stuck with, uh, with a pretty ragtag group. And uh, you saw the result in game four. It was, it was uh, a 5-1 game that felt a lot, uh, a, lot, a lot bigger gap than that. So, you know, I think um, – we talk about the coaching going in and it's hard to know what the, what the details will be of the chess match, but I don't think there's a lot of surprises between these two teams. You know, they play a very similar four checking style. Uh, Washington maybe does it with a little bit more physicality because they have so much of it, starting with, you know, the greatest goal scorer of all time who throws some big hits and Ovechkin and Wilson and Garnet Hathaway. Um, you know, they're a very physical team. They're a very fast team. So I kind of feel like if both teams play to their absolute potential, it's probably a series the Caps would win. So maybe there's maybe there's a way for Barry Trotz and Lane Lambert to uh, to negate that based on what they know. But you know, I think uh, I think it just has to be a series uh, for the Islanders where they do what they do best, which is frustrate you know good scoring teams and and capitalize on their own chances and uh, and kind of be a, a grinding. 
uh, you know, ugly style of game for, for the most part. I don't think it's going to be uh, the way it was against Florida, obviously, but, um, you know, but I think the Caps know what to expect with the Islanders and certainly Trots and, and the Islanders know what to expect from Washington. And we talk about the Islanders' power play usually in, in a negative fashion. And uh, while they did miss some opportunities against the Panthers and were not nearly as successful as the Panthers were in the power play, they did score some timely goals uh, uh, when they had with the man advantage. Uh, I just feel like that's something if the Islanders' power play ever got hot in a series, especially in the playoffs, with their play at even strength, which is one of the better the better five-on-five teams in the league, that could be something that could really carry them, especially if it's a close matchup, a team that's like, like the Capitals that they're so closely matched up with. Yeah, and I, you know, the real interesting thing about that series was the power play really got a jolt from the, the unit that Barzell was not on. He, he right. didn't, you know, that group didn't generate much at all on the power play. It was really the Bovillier, Nelson, Bailey group, whether they had Broussard with them, whether they had Pollock with them, and Devon Taves, who to my mind might be the, you know, kind of the X factor of the series. Uh, you know, he had a really good series against Florida, maybe not the best uh, defensively five on five. I thought him and Scott Mayfield uh, were probably the weakest pair of the three for most of that series. And especially considering they didn't see a lot of Barkov's line and the other lines really weren't much of a threat. This series, if they're going to be a true second pair, they're going to get a heavy dose of Kuznetsov's line. And that's a big challenge. And, and the challenge within that is also not just to contain them and keep those guys, uh, you know, guys like Oshie away from the net and, and slow down guys like Verana, but also get up the ice. Uh, you know, I think Washington's top six, the only real vulnerability that they've had from watching them all these years, they're not always the most diligent guys in the back check, especially when they want to get their offense going. And Taves uh, is certainly with his wheels and his, his passing ability is a guy you want up in the rush. And I think the way that he was quarterbacking that power play, uh, you know, they did some things on that power play in that series that we haven't seen all year. So credit to Jim Hiller and, and the coaching staff for coming up with some new wrinkles during the, the, the kind of phase three training camp. Um, and if they can keep that going with that unit and again, kind of like a five on five, get Barzell's unit to do really anything uh, around the net on the power play then yeah, their power play can be as big a threat as Washington's. And uh, that's a, that can go a long way towards neutralizing the special teams advantage that I think Washington has going in. Now it looks like Johnny Boychuk can play in game one. Will he play in game one? It's an excellent question. You know, I think Barry, uh, we always default to the Barry loves his veterans while he's choosing between his two oldest guys on the team between uh, Boychuk and Andy Green. And I think if you're just going off what you've seen in the recent past, you probably have to stick with green because he was really good in uh, the three games that he played against Florida. Uh, you know, I, I act, I sound a little surprised and I guess you don't really know what to expect with a guy like that jumping in after missing a game. He's not used to sitting out very much during his career in, in Jersey. Um, but, uh, but playing his offside for the most part, playing with Nick Letty, who's not an easy guy necessarily to play with. Uh, he was really solid, just made a lot of smart, confident decisions, whether it was stepping up in the offensive zone or uh, really good stretch passes. That's an aspect of his game that I don't think a lot of people knew about, his ability to, to stretch the ice that way. Um, you know, the physical side, I think, is going to be a little bit different for that pair, uh, especially if they're going to see third and fourth lines in Washington who are, who are a bit more of a grinded-out style and want to get in there and hit you. So. Uh, that's an area where I think Boychuk probably uh, is able to withstand it a little bit better. 
Uh, and I think on the penalty kill, if, if the, you know, if Trotz really feels like Adam Pellick and Scott Mayfield, who got victimized a few times uh, by the Florida's power play, if they, he feels like those guys can't handle the load on the penalty kill, he might lean towards Boychuk because Boychuk has faced this Washington power play an awful lot. He knows all the tendencies. He's, not, he's willing to throw his body in front of an Ovechkin blast. Um, so that, you know, maybe is a situation where he'd lean towards Boychuk. But generally speaking, I'd say you got to go with, uh, with what's gotten you here. In the last three games, you've seen nothing from Andy Green that would prompt you to take him out of the lineup. So my guess is for a game one, you stick with Green, but you have Boychuk waiting in the wings in case you need someone. Would there, uh, just, sorry, Dan. Go ahead, no. Would there ever be a chance where they play Boychuk, say maybe instead of uh, Mayfield? I don't think so. You know, I think uh, I, just, you know, age and wear and tear, you know, Scott Mayfield, I think, uh, you know, when he's having an off night, it's a little bit noticeable just because his, his skating is not so great. And sometimes he gets a little too stationary, but, um, but I think he's an essential guy to what they do. And he's such a good pair with Taves. I think the Taves Boychuk pair is not necessarily as, as effective. I think when you have that, Long-standing chemistry between defense partners, uh, you don't really want to mess with it, kind of like you don't want to mess with a good forward line. So uh, I, I don't see Mayfield coming out. Um, and I think, you know, this is a situation where it's not necessarily Johnny Boychuk's fault getting hurt uh, in game one. But in the playoffs, uh, you got to ride uh, with what's with what's been successful. And, and I think, uh, you know, I think it's kind of a Boychuk or Green situation. Obviously, injuries might might play a different role or, or a couple of bad games. But for right now, I don't I don't see Boychuk being anything but the number seven and uh, and moving into his old spot where Green comes out. Well, a couple of logistical things for tomorrow as uh, as we've started recording this, the uh, the Blue Jackets and Lightning are in their about to go into their fifth overtime. The Bruins and Hurricanes game has been postponed until 11 a.m. tomorrow. So the Islanders will be the second game tomorrow, and they've been lucky enough to be playing the early games where the ice hasn't been as bad. The ice conditions could be a little wobbly tomorrow now. Yeah, you know, I, I, hearing from guys throughout uh, my many years of covering hockey and not knowing much about ice or skating or things like that, sometimes when you have ice that's in com completely fresh, uh, like an 11 a.m. or a noon game, it, it's good, but it's a little bit uh, – it's kind of a little bit too unused. You want something that's been a little bit more broken in, but not too broken in. So the eight o'clock game is probably the toughest one. If there's a three game day, I think that middle one is actually not too bad because you've got guys that have skated on it. It's not too chewed up. There's enough time for it to recover. So I don't think it's such a big deal. And, and really the way that the Islanders play, um, you'd have to believe that the, it, you know, the caps are the ones with the, the bigger, the bigger offensive threat and, the guys that like to get up the ice a little bit faster. Uh, if you're choosing a team that it's going to affect more, I would think it would affect Washington more because they are such a precision, precision passing team. And, you know, I guess Ovechkin can, can hit a beach ball or a golf ball as hard as he can hit a hockey puck. So uh, he's probably not too concerned about it, but um, the only thing you, you probably would see maybe is towards the end of the periods with, puck slowing down uh, and that's where you want to have a lead because you can you can toss pucks out of the zone you know I think we saw back in game one against Florida that that uh, early start uh, you know the Islanders were helped by the bad ice at the end of that game they threw a couple pucks down the ice that probably would have gone for icings if the ice were better but they slowed down and helped them hold on to that one goal lead so um, 
if the Islanders can get a lead, that you know, they, they love to slow things down. So I don't think bad ice uh, affects them too much. Now, last question. Um, how has covering the team for you been, like, you know, watching them in the bubble? I know, I know last week you had some issues with the storm, but <laughs> you know, just overall. Uh, it's definitely different. You know, it's kind of been a weird uh, – since the Phase 3 started and we did a lot of Zoom calls, it's um, – you know, it, it feels a little bit more removed. You're not, uh, you know, have that face-to-face -face rapport. And I've been doing this so long, I, I feel like uh, it, it's a comfort, you know, it's a comfortable spot for me to be in the locker room talking to guys and you can have conversations that don't necessarily make it into a story, but, it, but still educate you on what's going on with the team or what's going on with their opponent. Um, those helpful things are gone, but um but you just, you know, we're all in a very weird time right now in the world. So you just have to roll with it and try to provide as, you know, the best information you can. Uh, it requires a little creativity kind of the way it did during the, the four months uh, when there was no hockey, just trying to come up with story ideas and talk to people who aren't necessarily in the bubble um, about what's going on there. So, you know, it's, uh, it's fun to sit and watch games with my family, which I hardly ever get to do during a regular season or a playoffs if I'm on site. So that's a little bit different. Uh, my son asks pretty good questions. He's 15. He's, and I kind of am surprised because he's never shown any interest in hockey and certainly none in the Islanders for as long as he's been around. So that's been a pleasant surprise. There's, there's always little things like that, that, that can improve it a little bit. And, um, you just have to make the best of it, like kind of like how the Islanders and the NHL are doing in the bubble. It's uh, it's a weird, weird time, but uh, at least there's hockey and we can all enjoy it. Absolutely. Arthur, thank you for a few minutes today and good luck. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care.